Hi, Sacred Tension fans. My name is Matt Langston, and I play in a band called Eleventy Seven. I'm an artist, a producer, and I also host my own podcast right here on Rock Candy called Eleventy Life. We talk with the people behind your favorite songs and albums, from the writers to the producers and everyone in between. And we're not asking your favorite artists the same old boring questions like where did your band name come from and who's your favorite Friends character. We're asking questions like why did your marriage fail? Where does love come from? Is God real? It is a show about the importance of creativity and pursuing your passions. And we don't let guests leave until it gets a little bit uncomfortable. So check it out right here on Rock Candy and your favorite podcast app. This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the spiritual discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Bradford Long, and we are here on the Rock Candy Podcast Network. For more shows like this one, go to rockcandyrecordings.com. All right. Well, as usual, I just have a few pieces of housekeeping. First, through the course of this episode, there might be some disruption because there is a new addition to our family. Uh, we have a new little kitten uh, she is our fourth. Her name is Lilith, and she is very enthralled by all the chords going on right now. So if you hear some noise in the background, it's probably her. Also, I must, as always, thank my patrons. They are the lifeblood of this show. They are the ones who ensure that this show has a long life, and they support the other projects that I'm involved in. So if you like what Rock Candy is doing, if you like our live shows, if you saw us at the Wild Goose Festival in Hot Springs, North Carolina, and uh, loved our appearance, loved our live shows and Eleven D7 performing, then please support me on Patreon. Because not only will it ensure the long life of my own work, it also helps all of these other projects that we're involved in. It also helps to feed my cat children, keep me caffeinated, and pay the mortgage. So that is all appreciated. This week, I have to thank my latest patrons, Laura Elliott Mixon, The Lizard King, Amy Sillers, Adriana Herman, Greg Stevens, and David Limka. Thank you so much. I can't do this work without you. All right. Well, with all of that out of the way, I'm happy to welcome Greg Stevens back to the show. Hello! also known as Priest Penamu. Hey, thank you for having me on again. Absolutely. So, um, as promised, we are talking about a specific subject that came up in our last conversation uh, about supernaturalism within the Satanic Temple. And just to clarify, you are the director of ministry, but you're not really acting as a spokesperson for the temple in this interview. You are uh, just giving your own opinions. Is that right? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's always it's always a little bit difficult being in a visible position like this. And I want to make sure that it's very clear. I am going to be talking about my understanding and my personal views on 
on a lot of things. And my and in some cases, I'm talking about what my interpretation of the satanic temples attitude. I maybe even quote some other people, but I, I don't want anything in this, especially with sort of a it's a topic that's sensitive for some people. So especially with a topic like this, I want to make sure that none of this is understood as being me stating the official position of the satanic temple or anything like that. And I'll, I'll try to sure. be very clear while I'm explaining things to exactly the scope of what I'm saying. But that is my that is my blanket initial disclaimer that right now I am not acting as the spokesperson or as the director of ministry. I'm just uh, speaking as a Satanist who happens to be a member of the Satanic Temple. Right. And I think that this conversation is really timely because I'm watching uh, a lot of Satanists seem to have some existential crises right now <laughs> over oh, like over the place of ritual, for example. Is one of the—correct me if I'm wrong—is she a count, National Council member, Shiva Honey? She— she was okay. in the past. Now she is the director of, of events okay, for great. National. Yeah, so she's so Shiva Honey is awesome, and I would actually really love to reach out to her to have her on the show um, because she's just fascinating. But she's working on a book called The Devil's Tome, which is a book of ritual for Satanists. And she also offers ritual candle-making classes. Uh, she's She does all kinds of stuff associated with, with ritual and... Um, I know that a lot, and hmm, how do I want to say this? And so I know that a lot of people within the Satanic Temple look at that and say, that strikes me as supernaturalism. That's, that strikes me as spiritism or supernaturalism and isn't Satanism supposed, you know, modern Satanism isn't supposed, isn't it supposed to be opposed to supernaturalism? But then you have people on the other side who I, and I know quite a few of these people who say, you know, I love what TST stands for. I love all of their tenets. I love what they're doing, but they just seem you know, really hardcore materialist, you know, philosophically materialist and don't believe in the supernatural at all. But, you know, I believe in uh, I, I believe in astrology or I believe in a supernatural event that I think happened to me. And because of that, I just can't fully join. And so it's it's I'm seeing these kind of just, you know, from my own kind of layperson lurker perspective, seeing these two perspectives going on simultaneously. Yeah, definitely both of these perspectives, both of these sort of uh, bookends are things that have been going on for a long time and they <clears throat> rear their heads uh, specifically o over and over again it seems like you and i both individually have talked about the issue of the struggle some people have with feeling like they are a little bit theistic or might be theistic and they're not really sure because of the way that they think about the world and so we both have, have talked about the relationship between you know theism and like the feeling of wonderment for example and i, I think that is really important for the sake of a conversation like this to make a couple of distinctions really clear. So that there, there are three things that I specifically have in mind. One of them is the distinction between theism and sort of the ritual magic aesthetic, because there are one of the things that the Satanists 
modern Satanists going back all the way to LaVey have, have embraced is this sort of mischievous or rebellious use of the term of terms like magic without necessarily attaching the a supernatural meaning to it. And you know, LaVey would talk about magic as being a psychological phenomenon or a social phenomenon. And this is something that if you talk to uh, Shiva, this is it's also part of the aesthetic there, there is nothing wooey, right? There is nothing uh, supernatural in the actual beliefs or assumptions of any of the rituals, but using the language and using the symbolism is something that traditionally has appealed to a lot of Satanists. And I even have since becoming more of a Satanist, more of a atheistic, religious person, I've even turned around like when I was younger, I used to be very much against the use of terms that I thought would be confused by other people to mean something supernatural. Because I was like, why would you create that confusion? You know, it's like, don't use the term God to mean the forces of the universe. Just say the forces of the universe. And I was very, I was very strident about that for a long period of time. But when I was, uh, as I got more involved with Satanism and the Satanic Temple, and I would have conversations with people who really did present it to me as like, well, this is an aesthetic thing. You know, this is something that by framing, by drawing on, and even in a kind of mischievous way, in a sort of, in a sort of uh, way to play with or undermine the majority views the majority's view of these terms, use these words, whether it's magic or whatever it is, to in these contexts where it means something that is psychological or whatever. Mm. I personally am not like, I, I've never been, like, I get it. Like, it makes sense to me. I think it's, it's, it's fine. And I get the kind of culturally, you know, trying to trying to I'm, I'm i forget the word that i'm looking for here but sort of undermine the the majority use of the word and i get that i it doesn't have a particular appeal to me but my if someone is freaked out by it or if someone is unsure i'm just like just ask shiva dude like i mean why 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 be concerned about <laughs> and i'm i'm like well i i do understand people but we are satanists i don't think we should be overly concerned about things appearing bad to the outside world right. if uh if, if that no horse has for... left the barn like that <laughs> that train has left the station <laughs> yeah uh, yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's I understand that there are some people who say there's a lot of baggage associated with terms that seem wooey or supernatural. But I would say there also is a lot of baggage associated with the word Satan. And if you're a Satanist, you kind of got to lean into the baggage, you know, exactly. I mean, it's, it's it's something. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, so I so, totally yeah, agree so, with that. So, so yeah, like th that's that's one of the elements is the aesthetic part because I know that it may not be my thing. I don't. I'm not. It doesn't necessarily appeal to me to speak in the terms that have these strong metaphysical associations, and then in my own mind be like, oh well, I mean it in this other way. But I don't mind that people do. Like I think that that's 
fine. I even I even sort of get the cultural motivation, the, the I will say the subcultural motivation to do it that way. And do you also think that there is an element of these things work, but not for the reason they have traditionally been thought to work? And maybe this was one of the later points that you were going to bring up. But for example, just out of you know, curiosity and fun, I tried my hand at a little chaos magic. For those of you who don't know, it was invented by a complete madman in the 70s who's completely fucking nuts. And what I did was some sigil magic. And the idea of sigil magic is to is to create an image and then bestow will or intent into that thing, into that image. And then you reach a what in esoteric magical traditions is called gnosis, which is a, an altered state of consciousness. And you look at that image and then you crumple it up or burn it and throw it away. The traditional line for why that, for why it quote unquote works is because, you know, you're putting your intent out into the universe and kind of reprogramming the very basic, you know, underlying nature of reality to, to fulfill your, your deepest wishes. When what I, actually found was that it was a fun, cathartic experience and allowed me kind of a place within which I could imagine certain scenarios or I could imagine being a sort of person that I otherwise would not be able to imagine, that I otherwise wouldn't have the context to imagine being. It, it gave me a, a place to just imagine what sort of person I want to be. And then there's kind of this pageantry of reaching a meditative state and then burning it and then just moving on with your life. And and what I actually found was that nothing magical at all had happened, but that it almost felt magical because it felt like my horizons were a bit expanded by the experience, that suddenly I felt like there were more possibilities. And as a result, maybe there were more possibilities, not because of anything happening out there in the cosmos that was magical, but maybe because I had altered my perception of reality just a bit. I don't know what you think of that, but it's like... No, I think that's fantastic. Like, I think that is exactly... I think that's exactly the case in many... Like, not everything, obviously. You know, we're not going to find the deeper psychological way to turn lead into gold. But for a lot of things... Exactly. Like, uh, 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 these kind of self-affirming or these things, I think that you're absolutely right. There's stuff that... The, the human mind is so complex and so intricate and so good at finding patterns that there are things, subtle behavioral things, picking up on subtle cues in groups and being able to, and the way that we impact each other through all of these signals and even pheromones, and there's all this stuff physically going on, that the idea that people have come up with things that work for some reason they have no idea why so they call it a spell or a ritual or whatever and now we do have enough science not necessarily to understand the details of how every individual thing works of course we don't we don't understand all these things but 
we understand enough about the science, the science, our scientific view of the system, we understand well enough to know that you don't have to go outside of the physical realm to find an explanation. And I think that that is just a matter of learning more about the world, learning about how the subconscious works and how social cues work in a way that let us and understand how the way that we can manipulate our own mindset and create a different way of looking at things. And it's all neurological. It all has to do with physical stuff. But whether we then say, oh, by going through this process, what you're doing isn't magic, it's this other psychological thing. Or whether you say it is magic, but now we've discovered that what magic really means is this psychological stuff. Exactly. Right? Yeah. That, yeah. I'm sorry. Different to, to, to that, then it's just a label, right? It's just a matter of what you mean when you say magic. Exactly. Let me go back if I'm yes, yes, I, yes. I had, I had. Yeah. So, I so go back with, to you with... to the other two. Also, before you do that, I just realized that we haven't actually yet read the the tenet that we are discussing. <laughs> you know, thirty minutes in. But, but, but no, that's that's that's. Uh, if I'm yes, yes, okay yes, for sure. In my checklist, I think the tenet only applies to the third. So let's get okay. to the third and then read yes, that. sounds good. Because the first one was let's distinguish between theism. And just using the language of supernatural stuff because you think it's a cool aesthetic or because it refers to something that historically was seen one way and now we see another way. To me, that's not theism. And if that's what people mean when they say, oh, that seems like theism or that where I feel like maybe then to me, that's just a different thing. So I want to take that and put that sort of out of the way. Number one. Okay. Number two is the just general sense of awe and mystery, which is something we've both talked about, is having having a general sense of awe and mystery isn't itself the same as saying, I think that there are supernatural forces in the world. As a, so, so, and both of us, I think, have written essays on this, so mm -hmm. everybody, maybe we can put a link to both of our essays on that topic somewhere, somewhere in the description of this, because that is, to me, that's just a, a, a that's just again a terminology thing it's like that's not that just that doesn't mean that you're theistic and so it shouldn't create any conflict you know am i leaving my life according to the tenets if i have a sense of wonderment i don't think those are in conflict so then that leads us to the third one and that is the difference between being a, being a theistic and being a supernaturalist because right. most of the people that I hear in who are members of TST or are struggling with it, when they're either talking about being uncomfortable with Shiva's rituals, or they're talking about their own personal struggle of thinking they're, you know, I'm not sure if I'm really an atheist. It's usually not because they think they might believe in God. It's because they feel like there's something spiritual out there, or they're worried that Shiva is invoking something spiritual out there, or whatever. It has more to do with super naturalism than theism per se. Theism being specifically belief in God or gods. So when it comes to supernaturalism, that's where I think we can narrow the focus of the discussion and ask the question, within the context of the Satanic Temple, can you be a supernaturalist 
if you your life or aspiring to live your life according to the seven tenets and that's where the tenet number five comes in so that that was my lead up to tenet number five <laughs> excellent and i will go ahead and read tenet number five which is beliefs should conform to our best scientific understanding of the world we should take care never to distort scientific facts to fit our beliefs. Okay, so basically kind of drilling down to people who have kind of a, a residual um, spiritual belief of some kind, and they feel like that they are living the tenets to the best of their ability, they feel like they are aligning scientific, uh, you know, they feel like they aren't distorting scientific fact to fit their beliefs, and they still read their horoscope, <laughs> fully believing it, or they be or they have some kind of supernatural belief in ghosts, that sort of thing, uh, is what yeah. you're talking about. And so where does that yeah. fit, where does that fit within this community you know it's a given that it's non-theistic and it's a given that part of the process of being a religion is is finding mean finding wonder and enchantment and awe but because i i see this i see these discussions all the time and do does tst allow people to join if they personally feel like they are holding up upholding the fifth tenet as much as possible, even if they have a view that maybe the official stance of TST would object to. How do you navigate that? Again, not speaking well, yeah. as an official member, right. of, you know, not speaking as a spokesperson of TST, but just your own personal view. Yeah, I, my own personal view is that becoming a member is, you know, signing up on the website. It does, the you know, the organization doesn't, police the beliefs all but then again that is true of every single religion you can go right. to catholic church and you don't there's nothing in particular that you have to believe in order to do that or claim to in, that you are catholic or any you know so any religion is going to have people I, I i feel like the question of am i allowed to be a member is sort of a weird uh, like way of framing the question. Not that I, I mean, I know what you mean because I have heard people ask and that exact exactly, question. And that's what, and that's what I've heard too is, am I allowed to join okay. or can I be, yeah. or can I join, you know, almost like looking for permission. So though now as you get more involved, there are local chapters who as part of their process of uh, screening people to become local chapter members, there are local chapters for whom it is very important that people are not don't believe in a literal Satan, don't believe in a literal God, the, where they lie on issues like uh, if you believe that plants have consciousness or your consciousness goes somewhere when you die, I don't know. I don't think that I mean, that's sort of, I guess, up to the chapters. But there is some sort of requirement in terms of not being theistic and not being in, in uh, believing in a, a literal Satan for some for joining some chapters. Sure. So I guess in that sense, the question of will I am I allowed to be a member could come up in a in a practical sense. But I think that more broadly, the question, my way of understanding the question that makes more sense, does it make sense for a person? to align themselves with a satanic temple and claim to 
be following the seven tenets to the best of their ability while also saying that they believe in the healing power of crystals. I'm, I'm that's I don't know why that's my favorite example, but um, but it, it, there's there's one other thing quickly that I want to say off to the side that is another correction that I want to make to what I hear a lot because and this is just a matter of clarification and definitions. I hear a lot of people when I get into this conversation saying that they feel like they're not fully atheistic because they're open to the possibility that there might be a God or there might be a spirit or there might be forces beyond the physical universe. And I just want to, this is, this is sort of an important thing to me. And again, I'm speaking for myself. I don't mean to sound like an authoritarian language dictator telling people how to use their words, but <laughs> like being, believing something and being open to the idea that something's possible are two different things. They're two different and categories. I, I feel like I, Absolutely. There's so, like, I, people, I, the number of times that I have people say to me, well, I feel like I'm not truly an atheist because I think the I'm open to the idea that there might be a God. I'm like, I'm open to the idea that we might all be living in a simulation. I'm open to the idea exactly. that there might be dragons living on Jupiter. That doesn't mean that I believe any of these things. I'm right? so glad you bring that so, up. Yes. And the way <laughs> the way I articulate this is there is a difference between saying I believe something does not exist and saying I do not believe in that thing. There's a huge yes. difference. There is a huge difference. And this is a difference that is completely lost on so many people. And it was lost on me for a very, very long time. And I think it is, I, I think that it's largely lost on, you know, I'm coming from kind of an evangelical Christian background is what I was raised in. And then I became a, an Anglican high church queer. And I think that there is this propaganda about atheists. <laughs> I think there is a propaganda that atheism means the belief that God does not exist. And a lot of atheists do believe that. However, atheism is an umbrella term that simply means no God, right? It can I do not consider myself an anti-theist, which means the belief that no gods exist. And I, that's not me. That's not where I am personally, because I don't know how to disprove with full assurance the existence of something or to prove that something does not exist. I think that that kind of falls into an infinite regress of sorts. Um, but I can say 100 percent, I don't believe in something because I don't think there is sufficient evidence for it. And the 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 metaphor I like to use for this is if, you know, I were a medieval peasant and someone were to come from the year 2019 and tell me that black holes exist, and if I were a good skeptic worth his salt, then I would say there is no evidence for that thing, therefore I shouldn't believe it. In my time and context, there is no evidence for that thing. What I'm not saying is that it doesn't exist. I'm saying it has not warranted belief. And that to me is a big, big difference. I just want sufficient evidence for stuff. And, and so that to me is my form of atheism. I get so fucking tired of explaining that to people that I tend yeah. to opt for the word non-theist just because it 
it diverts that conversation. There's a there's an understanding among religious people of what non-theism is. You know, Buddhists are non-theist. You know, Quakers or some Quakers are non-theist. There, but and, and it has just a softer connotation. But ultimately, it just I think means the exact same thing. It, it's an umbrella term. A theist and non-theist. It means the exact same thing. Anyway, the, you you hit on one of my uh, on one of my pet peeves. And and no, and it and it is, it is one of mine as well. I think that is it's. I, I just get frustrated, and honestly, it makes me a little bit sad because I know that there is so much. And I I like your mention of the fact that in some sense it's probably, if not created by, at least amplified by by theistic propaganda. They want yes. the idea out there. Yes. That atheism means you're absolutely certain that there isn't a God because then they know fewer people will feel comfortable calling themselves atheists. I do exactly. think that that's probably very much a propaganda thing. Yeah, no, that's that's very true. And and it, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart because there are these people who feel like they're just not sure if they belong in an atheistic religion. And when you drill down to it, the only sort of source of it is that they think it's possible that maybe there's some supernatural stuff out there. And I'm like, okay, you're an atheist. You like, <laughs> you know, exactly. if, if, the level of, if the level of where your belief structure is at is you don't believe in any specific supernatural force or supernatural explanation for things, but you think that in principle, there may be something out there. You just haven't seen any evidence for it yet. I'm like, yeah, that's a that's an atheist. That's an atheist who is being uh, cautious and rational about what sorts of things can and cannot be proven. So. Exactly. To me, it is the difference between you know. I was actually just talking about this with Mick West today. I don't Mick. I I had Mick West on the show, a designer or a programmer for the original Tony Hawk video games, and he went on to become like this big you know professional skeptic and and conspiracy theory debunker. And I try and I brought up the. Uh, uh, the difference between hypothesis and theory, and he he totally poo-pooed it and said, no, that that's not a health, that's not a good distinction for you know normal conversation because people colloquially understand theory as a as a hypothesis. But to me, it's still an interesting difference where a hypothesis is saying maybe this is something that is true about the universe in a scientific setting. You know, this is me not not being a scientist, probably fucking this up. The, a hypothesis is saying here is some here is an idea that I find really interesting about the universe that might be true. I'm not going to say it is true, but maybe it's true. Uh, I'm open to the idea of aliens visiting the planet, for example. I'm open, quote unquote. I'm you know I don't I personally don't believe that, but there are people who say that. Or I am open to the possibility of there being ghosts. That's a hypothesis. And then, but then it has to go through a series of tests. Then it has to go through a series of rigorous testing, at which point it arrives at the status of theory. A theory is still going to be imperfect in some way, but it's something that we can all say, okay, this is generally true about the universe. The problem is when we turn it into what Hank Green calls the hypothesis. <laughs> the hypothesis is when 
we say this is an idea about the universe that I personally really like. But I'm going to bypass all that proving stuff and just go ahead and say I believe it. I'm just going to mm. go ahead and say this is a this is something that I believe about the universe. And that is the problem, turning a hypothesis into the hypothesis, <laughs> bypassing <laughs> bypassing that that series of tests. And you know as Matt Dillahunty says all the time if you don't have a good reason to believe something, then why believe it? We shouldn't believe right. something. Well, yeah. Right. Well, no, and and I mean, yes, absolutely. And uh, and the the difficulty that I have with um, and the reason that I think that I personally think that believing in stuff like uh, astrology or <clears throat> healing crystals or the idea that the earth is flat or whatever. The reason that I think that those are not just examples, not staying true to aspiring to live by the fifth tenet, but in addition, why it also is a problem. Because that's really, when it comes to, when it comes to, it's one thing to, I mean, it's fun to have these abstract philosophical conversations about whether the fifth tenet is or is not consistent with any given thing. And that's fine in the abstract when it comes to the question of, does it matter? Because it's easy enough to, t to, to think, and there have been times in the past when I've thought to myself, you know what, it, I personally think it's a little silly and a little ridiculous, but if someone wants to believe in the healing power of crystals, who the fuck cares? You know, there's a part of me that feels like, and this is a kind of even, so again, although I'm not speaking for the Satanic Temple, a conversation that I had with people when I was on National Council, when we were having discussions about whether chapters should accept people with different sorts of supernatural beliefs as members, and because this has all come up over the course of the multi-year history of the organization, right? We've had these conversations. Yeah. And, 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 and there was a time when my attitude was, if someone generally aligns themselves with the seven tenets, but they have this like, well, there might not be proof out there in the scientific world for the healing power of crystals, but I feel like I have experienced some things. And so for me, I'm still living my life by the seven tenets, even while I believe in the healing power of crystals. And there was a part of me that was like, eh, I don't really care. Who's it hurting, right? The the problem is, problem is, and the reason that I feel this is a legitimately tough issue when we start getting into this part of the conversation is that what's the next step? Someone believes in the healing power of crystals. Are they not going to take their kid to the hospital because they're going to use crystals instead? Or are they going to try to pass laws? Yeah. Or more subtly. Yeah, no, I know exactly where you're going with this. Or more subtly, do they spend money on crystals, lots of money that would that should be directed towards science based medicine? Right. And and that's and, the other thing. You know, it's it's like um it's yeah. like and time. I mean time and money. It's like uh Steve Jobs, you know, when he had cancer he he invested a lot of time into alternative medicines like avocados and bullshit like that and to to cure his cancer and by the time he i mean and this is according to the to the cultural myth i have no idea if it, you know how true this is or not so take this with a grain of salt but by the time he did finally turn 
towards science-based medicine. It was too late. And so I'm often really, really, really concerned. Okay, so for example, there are some people very near and dear to my heart who are obsessed with essential oils. And I don't mean obsessed in a healthy way. I mean obsessed to, to a cultish degree. And they're part of an organization called Young Living, who is run by the biggest grifter on the planet who is accused of killing his own daughter by trying to do a, an underwater birth with his wife. He's accused, uh, he has multiple allegations against him because he has claim, he, he claims to be a doctor when he doesn't, and on and on and on, and he says that essential, he was one, he, his myth is that he was once, once a logger in the Pacific Northwest, a tree fell on him, severed his spine, and essential oils cured him, and now he has full mobility. Uh, like, Scary shit. Really, really, really scary shit. And so I see now these these people I love investing hundreds of dollars in these sets of essential oils, which should be, first of all, it's a multi-level marketing thing. So the whole thing is a pyramid scheme. And they are investing hundreds, if not thousands of dollars in these essential oils, which should be no more than $10 a pop. And then they are giving it undiluted, ingesting, having their kids ingested undiluted to, to cure their sicknesses. And then bundled up with this is anti-vaccine stuff. Bundled up with this is alternative cures for cancer. And one of these people tried to, yes, go on. No, I was just going to say that that hits on a uh, interesting point that that I also was thinking before and wanted to make is to quote Lucian, and I forget where or when he said this, but nobody believes just one weird thing. Exactly. When you exactly. find someone, <laughs> when you find someone who believes uh, uh, something, if they're an anti-vaxxer, chances are pretty good when you when you when you pull on that thread you're going to get 9-11 truther you're going to get alien landings you're going to get a whole bunch of stuff because yes. the sort of mindset that allows you to go in the direction of believing the one weird thing opens the door from a pure just like if this is the if this is the standard that you have for accepting beliefs it opens the door for all the beliefs and you know something that i've been thinking about through this whole conversation and that i was actually thinking about over the past few weeks you know as as we've been planning on having this conversation is something that stephen jay gould talked about the you know the great i think he was an uh, a physicist you know really really influential scientist but he talked about religion and science as quote non-overlapping magisteria and i I just don't buy that. They totally overlap. They absolutely overlap. And I had someone on my show, a religious scholar, who I generally really respect, and he said that a lot of people, you know, regardless of what you may think of, of Stephen Jay Gould's assessment, who there are a lot of people who, who live in that way, who, you know, it's like their faith is in one box, and then, you know, their supernatural beliefs are in one box, and then their, and then their scientific beliefs are in another box. And I, my thoughts on that are really complicated. 
because I'm like, I'm sure that there are some people like that. I've met some people like that, but I also can't help but feel that those people have not taken the the have not taken the the results of their supernatural belief to their logical conclusions and have not truly invested or gone all the way. <laughs> you know, they're kind of going halfway or they're not fully committed or something or they have not deeply considered the ramifications of their supernaturalism. And so I think that this kind of hits on that problem, which is, you know, where Stephen Jay Gould and a lot of people try to assert that these things are non-overlapping magisteria and that they can just nicely coexist and and they they coexist, they live peaceably and they don't interact in any meaningful way. And I think that that's well, bullshit. I I think that's that's <laughs> I think it's complete bullshit because if you believe that that crystals, yes, sorry, go on. I'll I'll let you go. <laughs> no, I was just going to say I was just going to say that there is probably an extent to which both things are true and what I mean by that is that there was some research. I don't know if anything really came of it, but I remember when I was in grad school, I heard a talk see if I can remember his name, but there was a, an anthropologist working in sort of the overlap between, between psychology and anthropology who was doing some interesting research and had a hypothesis, <laughs> hypothesis, had a hypothesis that the, the mind might actually have two different ways. There might functionally be two different types of belief. The the mind might actually treat a certain class of beliefs fundamentally differently in the way that it operates, whether it's normal beliefs versus religious beliefs. And that religious beliefs may be the types of things where even though a person who is, you know, normal and rational and sane, and if you present them with some idea in the regular day-to-day world, they will make all the connections and they will look for consistency. And if they find inconsistency, they will try to resolve all those normal things. But if a belief is of this other kind, the mind simply doesn't treat that way. And I don't, he was trying to even develop experiments to see to test that, that theory, that hypothesis. And I don't know what became of that, but I think that, that certainly it, it's possible that the mind actually has different ways of, you know, the, the mind certainly, there's nothing that says human minds have to be consistent, right? So <laughs> and we're, and we're really good at compartmentalizing, so, right? Like we're really good at putting things in boxes and saying, this is one kind of thing. And then this thing over here is another kind of thing. And we're really good at that. You know, what I'm saying is that people who, who live in that way, who don't understand that those boxes actually merge are not taking the consequences of their beliefs seriously. And that's my problem. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, we're well, kind of going we're kind of going far afield from our original I, topic, which is fine. But but yeah, that I think that the the so I see two issues with the with this non-overlapping magisteria idea. With and one problem is that it my the thing that I keep bringing up with people, you know, people who try to assert this that religion tells us the how and the why, whereas Religion tell no religion tells us the what, whereas 
Let me try this again. Religion tells us the why, whereas science tells us the how. You know, that's how a lot of people try to frame it, that relig- and that they aren't actually contradicting at all. Uh, and what I try to say is, well, no, they do, because the central claims of Christianity, the, the creeds, the Nicene and Apostles' Creed, make statements that have to be verified as true through the processes of science before they can be confirmed as true, otherwise we have no reason to believe them. Extraordinary things like the virgin birth, extraordinary things like the resurrection. We, you know, we, we confirm these things through the processes of science, through the scientific method. And if they, if it can't be, if it can't be falsified, then we have no reason to believe it. And so there is a conflict. And then the other issue, which I think is what you were getting at, which is that even if it feels like these things aren't aren't overlapping science and spiritual belief, that spiritual belief can lead to some very scary consequences. It can lead down a road of investing in, in fake cures when that money and time should be invested in science-based medicine and so on. And, and and that's and that's really where to go back to the the comment about you know nobody believes just one weird thing. That's right. where it starts to get scary to me because if someone and obviously there's a gray area, there's a sliding scale. There are plenty of people who have a hunch that horoscopes are true more often than they're not, and they don't have any solid belief about why. And most of them, I feel like, probably in every other way can make good decisions about life. I'm not going to say that. You know what I mean? Like when it's, yeah. when it's something like that, I, I, I don't want to go too, but you, it, it, the more the more unusual the belief and the more in terms of the potential like believing in healing crystals or whatever it there's so much in terms of the practical the practical world and practical application that it makes me wonder what else what could go wrong as a result of them believing that what could it lead to if whatever underlying thing going on in their minds is not challenged and if they're given validation because see so here's here's the issue where it gets scary for me because i i know that in casual conversation some people get a little bit horrified and taken aback especially you know with me being a good progressive lefty open-minded people you know there is a sense in which we both know a very strong anti-spiritualist stance has been historically used by some people as a bludgeon against peoples and stuff like that like I want to be aware of that so when I if, if I'm getting into a conversation where I'm talking about the fact that I think believing in horoscopes and tree spirits is irrational and could be symptomatic of something going wrong in their underlying reasoning process a lot of people get a little bit concerned about that and I understand why for socio-historical reasons right you don't right. want to be the people who are saying all the because 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 unfortunately there have been those people out there who do use it as a use this sort of rationalism or science 
scientism as a way of being dismissive and insulting and marginalizing, you know, these other groups. But the problem is using that as, you know, going too far in the other direction and saying, oh, all of these things are just harmless and mm. people should be validated no matter what they believe. The problem with that is that's the sort of stuff that can lead to the propagation of pseudoscience, conspiracy theories. It's conspiracy theory territory. Right. That can ruin a lot. That can kill And people. it does. And it does. And, and OK, so here's another thing. I Well, I, I think that I would word it just slightly differently. I I because I wonder if it isn't actually something going wrong with the underlying cognitive systems and more if it's just an innate natural cognitive bias that we all have and that in and and that it is actually and and so maybe it isn't something going wrong necessarily but it's actually something just it's actually the human mind just being normal and our normal state is to see faces in clouds and to assign will to things where there is no will and which is why we always have to work to overcome it it's like me having to constantly work to uh to overcome my voracious sweet tooth because if i had my own way i would be 300 pounds and hoard you know 30 cats that that is my natural state right like when left to my own devices that is what my psyche tells me is the good and right and proper way to live <laughs> Like is to is to eat a, a an entire tub of ice cream and to just bring home as many stray kittens as I possibly can. And so, you oh, that, know what I? No, wait, that's, that's a really good. That's a really good point. I mean, you're right. I, I there was that was. Uh... That wasn't accurate, even for what I sort of had in my head when I used the phrase "something wrong." Mm. Or something wrong in the in the sort of ought sense, in the normative sense. Right, right, right. But uh, really, uh, fundamentally, springing from our basic cognitive machinery. I agree with that one hundred percent. To the extent that, I mean, even I'm very aware that we have cognitive biases and why we have them and they're functional a lot of the time that's why they exist but they also can lead to these conditions when the 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 the, the place where it becomes an issue apart from the fact that it's actually helpful to make good decisions if as individuals, we're aware of our own biases. Like, apart from even that, socially speaking, it, you know, going back to the satanic panic and everything that emerged in the aftermath of that, this idea, these these therapists, these uh, people who would be uncovering repressed memories of of satanic ritual abuse, and it would be completely fake. Com completely a construction that was going on during the therapy sessions, but then the scientists who want to promote the idea that these things happened will say, no, 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 this is their lived experience. You have to validate that or else you're like denying all abuse or something. They would use this yeah. kind of political and social shield yeah. and as a way of giving permission to, pe to people to essentially construct these memories and these narratives. They'd get a validation for it, no matter how ridiculous, if it involved uh, UFOs abducting them and them being time-traveled to some other place and getting an injection from, you know, like, all these things. Fucking nuts. <laughs> Just completely if, fucking yeah. nuts, yeah. 
And, and if the mindset is for the mental health of the patient, we have to validate this, it can, it can be extremely, extremely dangerous and it cre can create these weird sorts of cultures where it's impossible to challenge any sort of crazy belief. And so that's what, that's where my mind goes when I think about, uh, like, yeah, we all have biases. Yeah, we all think wrong things. But if we create a culture if we set where a we precedent, say, oh, in other words. yeah, it's yeah. like, that's, that, that belief is not scientific. There's no evidence for it. But we're just going to set a precedent to say that, hey, it's your lived experience, and therefore we have to validate it for you. I do worry that that has real consequences. Yeah, me um, too. Which is a struggle. You know, and, and you're actually hitting on something that I'm, that I'm kind of in the middle of, an ethical dilemma, because I'm a yoga teacher. And I have been for years. And the yoga world is so full of pseudoscientific bullshit. Yet, I think that the practice of yoga itself is really awesome and super relaxing. And, and you know, my philosophy is why can't something just be what it is? Why can't essential oils just smell nice? You know? And that's great. And that's <laughs> that's good enough. You know that that's good enough. Why can't rituals just be fun and cathartic? Why can't we just like the aesthetic of something? Why can't yoga just relax us? And that's great. And that's beautiful and good. But you know, human beings, we have to add all this other bullshit. So you know, like my friend put tried to put essential oils on my cat several years ago to cure it of its anxiety which did not help its anxiety um <laughs> um you know what i'm saying so oh my gosh oh my gosh yeah i'm not even sure that that, that should be legal my goodness I, it shouldn't it um, really shouldn't be and and so i'm i'm in this ethical dilemma being in the yoga world where people will come up with stuff that i think is borders on dangerous or is flat out dangerous but because of my setting i don't feel like i can really say anything other than in my classes just redirect people more to a kind of science-based understanding of meditation or a you know and that and so that's what i try to do but in a way i'm starting to feel like i'm enabling it <laughs> in a way i'm starting you know can you call your class Atheistic yoga. Yes, absolutely. Or, or materialist yoga. <laughs> no, or most people, most people, most people, when they think of the word materialist, don't think of like philosophical materialism. They think of like uh, material girl. You they know, think so. of material girl. Yes, and I have to remind myself <laughs> of that all the time. But also, you know, I mean, this is a whole rant. This is a rant for a whole other time, but. I won't. Okay, so I won't even go down that road. I won't be tempted. Uh, I won't go down that rabbit trail. But I'm starting to fear that I am an enabler in some way, and and so I'm I'm caught in this struggle of basically feeling like yoga is still valuable enough for me to teach it because I think it is valuable. You know, it's healthy to stretch. It's good to stretch. Good to feel good good to relax, good to meditate. You know, these are all good, positive things. But fearing the the baggage that comes with the community, that, that comes, oh. and, and what I might be signing off on innately in the minds of other people. You, you, you know what I'm saying? And, and so I can see 
certain communities just not even wanting to go down that road because it's like once you set a precedent for saying this thing is okay then what do we open the doors to you know i under i understand what you're saying <clears throat> but i think the you know I, I jokingly said call your class atheistic yoga but i think that <laughs> something like that something like that would be the way to do this because then you're inserting yourself and your perspective overtly into this space in a yeah. way that is designed to generate conversation. And that essentially is the way, uh, I mean, it's the very, it is the very satanic way to solve that problem is to is. put yourself overtly in that space with a label that invites people to ask questions and to react. And then you have the dialogue. Yeah. And, you know, I, I read um, passages from like Carl Sagan in my class or from mm. Max Tegmark, you know, and, and other really great physicists about the vastness of the cosmos or about, you know, the wonders of the human brain and neuroscience. And or I or I just read, you know, the poetry of Mary Oliver. And so I try to kind of redirect and create a setting where we can still have awe and ritual and wonder, but we don't have so you're to doing sign it. off. So you're doing it right already. I actually, okay. I'm going to give you, so this is my personal opinion. Sure. I actually think that you are doing more for people by doing this than you would be by opting out of the yoga community entirely sure. because by opting, like you don't need to let them win. Like you don't need to give them ownership of mm. the entire thing. If you want to carve out a space for atheistic yoga, where you read Carl yeah. Sagan and you, you know, do these things, then the, the, the only way that people, again, very satanic view, the only way to reaffirm the diversity of interpretations of yoga is to be the presence in the space that's contra to the thing that you're opposing not by opting out so yeah no i, I think, think that i think that's true i really yeah i think that's true and um you know i feel like when i'm in when i'm teaching there is a sense of what i can only call the mystical which is a word that i know is raises all kinds of red flags. You know, we can use other words for it. Enchantment, wonderment, etc. And, you know, leading this group of people into meditation in a gorgeous space, in a gorgeous studio with beautiful music and with readings from, you know, of, of gorgeous poetry or from uh, an astrophysicist, you know, it, it is this sense of, for lack of a better term, the sacred, the set apart. And realizing that what a lot of people a lot of people think there is a, a false dichotomy a lot of people think that there is a contradiction between that sort of experience and being an atheist and this was the assumption i held as a christian and i think the reason is because of that uh two reasons uh, a lot of atheists are assholes <laughs> a lot of the public atheists are assholes and then b uh the the anti-atheist propaganda in the Christian world. But uh, there was the assumption that believing that everything is generated from material stuff must mean that there is no wonder and enchantment in the world and that we can't enter into these sacred spaces, these set-apart set spaces, and have an extraordinary experience that has all the wonder and awe of a religious 
ceremony. But we don't need to have that supernatural belief in order to have that experience. And, and But there's this assumption that so many people have and that I had is that those things are mutually exclusive. Either you believe that everything is made of atoms and dirt and whatnot, and there's just totally, you know, deadpan, unremarkable, totally dry, you know, people want to talk about, you know, what makes up the flower and not, and not, it's almost like, I, I, a way I like to put it is just because I know what goes into a cake, just because I know how to make a cake does not make the experience of eating the cake within a community at someone's birthday any less real. And so it's like the macro epiphenomenal experience and the material aren't in contradiction with each other. And the component parts of something are not the more real. That isn't what is the most real. It's all real. The fact that a galaxy is made up of individual stars, which in turn are made up of individual parts and chemical processes and whatnot, doesn't mean the galaxy isn't real. And so too with human experience. So too with, with what, for lack of a better term, we can call mystical experience or enchantment or wonderment. Just because we are made up of component parts doesn't mean make the whole and the epiphenom- epiphenomenological, Jesus Christ, I can't use say that word, but the emergent experience of wonder, it doesn't make that experience any less real. And Thank you. Yes, absolutely. That is... If anything, I feel that what you just said is one of the most important parts of, for me, again, not speaking officially for the Satanic Temple, but for me, me, one of the most important elements of why I think it's important to make space in our culture for the idea of atheistic religion generally, and why I think it's important to have these conversations is to is to get people to think in these terms and understand the to disentangle these assumptions and even just to it would be so remarkable just to get more people it more saturated in our common culture the idea of emergence and how this is interestingly i just last week was having a conversation with lucian where we were talking about some of these similar things and we were talking he was talking in the context of people who don't believe evolution in evolution and why they don't believe it and at one point the conversation ended up with him just saying that it is a shame that that there are people who just because of their world experiences, their personal histories, have never been taught to understand the idea of emergent systems, emergent properties. Exactly. And and how even just that one concept could make such a big difference in what people allow themselves to think is possible in the realm of scientific explanation, in the realm of looking at the world. And so, yeah, the, exactly the stuff that you just said, I think, is is a big part of what I see as my goal, too, in talking with people and sharing with people a way of looking at the world and through Satanism specifically, but then more broadly, the notion of an atheistic religion, a lot of it goes back to that key thing you just said about the the fact that you can be a materialist and not a reductionist. You can be a materialist and have an exactly. intensely 
psychological and emergent view of the universe and that a lot of the a lot of the cultural associations that people have with notions like wonderment or spirituality can are not at all inconsistent with a materialist non-reductionist view of the universe so yeah exactly Exactly. And, you know, uh, something that I like to bring up all the time. And I mean, this was really what led to my to my journey into non-theism, because, you know, I had been struggling with my faith for years. I mean, since college. But what I realized that I needed and what I wanted, you know, need is an is maybe not the right word, but what I wanted was religion. That's what I wanted. And what I wanted was enchantment. But then I read Mike McGard, aka Science Mike, and and he's a Christian, but he's he's a non-theistic Christian. And what he talks about mm-hmm. is just that, is this ability to to see the ability to experience wonderment and to have, for lack of a better term, a mystical experience. And, you know, sometimes that experience is so huge and overwhelming and awe-inspiring, the only appropriate word that we can think of in the moment is God. But that doesn't mean and you know he he uses the the he says that the left brain you know i don't know how scientific this is but the left brain is reductive the right brain is holistic so you know the left brain will look at a chair and will say i see staples i see cloth i see wood cut at certain angles and so on and then the right brain will look at it and say i see a chair and he says likewise you know when a lot of people look at the universe the the reductive part of the brain will say i see the laws of physics i see the conservation of energy and and so on and and then the right part of the brain will say i see god and what he says is that these two things are not necessarily do not have to be in conflict with each other i've kind of moved away from that some you know i i Mm -hmm. don't know if i would put it that way but that's how he puts it and that was incredibly helpful for me and and one thing that i find that i find myself coming back to all the time is the final words in the harry potter series when harry potter is in uh, King's Cross Station with Dumbledore having that vision at the very end and uh, Harry says but isn't this all in my head and Dumbledore turns to him and says of course it's all in your head Harry why on earth does that mean it isn't real and that's One of my favorite quotes in that entire thing Me too. I love that quote me too and yeah, i that think was my, that, was in my, that was in my twitter bio for a while <laughs> yes and and it's just what i keep coming back to all the all the time and that i think sums up my religious life just because it's in my head doesn't mean it isn't real yes it's in my head but does that mean it doesn't have a real impact on my life uh, of course it has a real impact you know and so i i find that a really really helpful way of putting it absolutely i agree um I, well, although, although, if we're going to start getting into whether or not objective reality exists, we're going to have to do that on a separate. We're episode, going to have, we're going to have to do that. Is have time for that topic right now? <laughs> no, not at all. So, um, unfortunately, I I think my partner is about to come home from work, and me being the good gay housewife, I'm going to have to uh, welcome him with our brood of cats in my arms, uh, and you know, put on my my hot made outfit. Uh, so anyway, but it's been great talking and I, you know, as always, I feel like we have so much more to discuss, but we'll have to finish it off here. So, but this has been a lot of fun. This has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much. And I, I, I think you're right. This 
the, this topic or set of topics that we hit on during this conversation is it's ever present and it comes up over and over again with people, whether they're just joining the Satanic Temple or whether they are getting more deeply involved and being in it for a while. So I think it's I think it's really important to keep talking about these things. I'm really glad that we were able to explore some of these issues today. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. Um, also just something to throw out there. If you do happen to be listening to this and you do have supernatural belief, that doesn't mean I think you're stupid. I just find in my conversations over and over and over again that I have to, you know, affirm that you aren't stupid. If you have a certain belief about the universe, it just means you've arrived, you know, you're working with the best you can with what you, with what makes sense to you. And some of the smartest people I know are theists and some of the dumbest people I know are atheists. So it doesn't mean you're stupid at all. (laughs) I just, so many people, that just comes up so many times um, because there's this assumption that I think you're an idiot if you if you think differently than me. And that's not the case at all. I think we're all generally doing the best we can with what we've been given, (laughs) you know, with our bias-ridden, faulty brains that evolution has given us. So anyway, all right, well, that is it for this show. You should all go support uh, Greg Stevens, a.k.a. Priest Pinamu, on Patreon. He has amazing stuff over there. Patrons of his get uh, early access to this series of interviews that we've been doing, plus the video of it. So if you want to see my, you know, disgusting, grinning, bearded mug, uh, go to his Patreon and you get to see it. Whereas he's much prettier. And the cat. Don't forget the cat. And, and the, the cat, kitten. Don't forget the cat. And and Lilith, <laughs> who is on my shoulder for a great deal of it. Uh, Greg Stevens is is much prettier than I am. He's gorgeous. He, he was a model. Thank you so much. He was a model and has blue hair and is uh and is the you know satanic model for all of us. Anyway, and <laughs> so go go support him on Patreon. He has awesome videos. Uh, and as usual. Special thanks goes to my patrons. I couldn't do this without you. Special thanks also goes to my assistant, Ramakrishna Das, who hosts House of Heretics with me and does all the imagery for social media. So if you like the graphics you see, that is all him. The music for the show is by the Jelly Rocks and the band Eleventy Seven. You can find them on iTunes and Spotify or wherever you listen to music. The show is written, produced, and edited by me, Stephen Bradford Long, and is a production of Rock Candy media. And as always, thanks for listening. Tell us some clever metaphor. Sing us a hymn or strum us a power chord. How about I just try and say something honestly? I don't think I have what you're asking for. I'm just like Jesus Christ, why does the home get longer? Take another
Galactical, so read the script or nothing. Else.